0: Hello and welcome to The Sound Off on School Safety. I am Alyssa Parker, co-founder and director of outreach for Safe and Sound Schools. My co-host today is Michelle Gay, co-founder and executive director of Safe and Sound Schools. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us today. So after losing our children at Sandy Hook School, we co-founded Safe and Sound Schools Together. It's a national school safety advocacy organization resource center that provides research-based tools and support for crisis prevention, response, and recovery with the goal of protecting every school and every student every day. We invite you to visit us at safeandsoundschools.org to learn more about our mission and support our work in schools and communities across the country. And this is our podcast we're so excited that you're here to join us for this episode where we get a chance to talk to school experts across the country um, to really discuss important topics relating to school safety with us today on the sound off is Dr Maureen O'Shaughnessy founder of Seattle micro school lead prep. Education Evolution and the Micro School Coalition, and author of Creating Micro Schools for Colorful Mismatch Kids. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure, Alyssa.
0: We're so excited because, you know, with the pandemic still at large, many of these parents that we communicate and work with are faced with this really impossible choice coming up this fall with school starting again. You know, most schools, we're seeing this pattern where a lot of them are now opting for distance learning, and a lot of parents are also just not feeling comfortable sending their kids back in the fall. So I think we're seeing so many people now looking around and saying, how do I support myself a little bit better and my family? How do we set ourselves up for success? And in some ways, you know, back in the spring when schools started to close, it was a lot like being thrown into the deep end of a pool and just kind of, how do we figure this out? And how do we, you know, figure out what distance learning entails? And I think this time around, people are looking for solutions to make this more effective and still allow our kids to possibly have know, some sort of interaction, social interactions with their peers, but how do you do that safely? And so I think this, this topic of micro-schooling has really become kind of a hot topic, if you will. And we're so excited to have you here to, to discuss this with us further.
1: It's great being here.
2: We're so excited. So I'm excited, especially because I, of this concept, um, because I believe firmly as an educator myself, that one size does not fit all in the first place. And, um, you know, I, I know you you had experience as a, a typical classroom teacher. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, you know, kind of where you started as an educator and how you landed here, um, developing this Really exciting alternative for a lot of families and a lot of kids.
1: Sure, I started out as an elementary teacher, so my focus has always been on the whole student and Is Johnny eating lunch, and does Susie have friends at recess, not just on content? Then I taught in Spain and came back to my district, and they didn't have an opening. I jumped to high school and it was a high school of two thousand kids in three grades, and it was so huge and I saw kids falling through the cracks. I was looking through my elementary school eyes. And so I got to start a school within a school within this large high school, and teamed with the school down the hill, and we had a federal grant, and really made it more humane and personal for kids that don't thrive in a bigger setting. And I'm a firm believer we need a lot of settings. And
2: I, I love that you took you basically took our elementary model. I'm an elementary girl too. Mm-hmm took that this model which where where it's it's kind of familial right we've got this very intimate connection we're focused on the whole child um you know we we literally play together at recess (laughs) lunch we have our lunch bunches um you know we crawl around the floor doing experiments and, and all kinds of things um and i have to say too with a little experience in in middle and high school I felt the same. I thought, you know, uh, kids are kids are falling through the cracks uh, a little bit because we're not doing what we were doing before that we that we do so
1: well. Right when they're pushing away from parents and starting to associate with peers as adolescents, they're getting all their information from other (laughs) thirteen-year-olds. You know, we take away the cocoon of elementary. It's like, what are we thinking? And we assembly line them, and 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 yeah, it's a perfect storm and we get some pretty crazy results so So, what took
0: you from there yeah like how did that evolve then after seeing that
1: yeah i got to be a school leader um i went on to do administrative work because i really admired the administrator that let me start a school within a school and i saw it takes somebody in a leadership position to help reallocate funds and whatnot so i knew i needed to do that so I went on and was a school administrator overseas, came back and was one in Seattle so that my girls could have a a US high school experience. And then they tanked in high school and we tried six or seven different models. And if there'd just been something that could see each kid a little bit, my fierce younger daughter who was gifted and had jumped a grade could have kept her motivated, given her a little bit of agency where she had a say in what was going on. And my gentle older daughter with ADD and autism, if they could have just like, Hey, no problem. You can come and and do this oral report after school. You don't have to do it in front of 30 kids. They could have thrived and I had friends saying, so what are you gonna do about this? And as soon as I graduated my girls in 2013, I opened a micro school to try and walk my talk and be that change that I wanted for kids that don't thrive in a in a general or larger setting. Amazing.
0: Amazing. Really interesting. And
1: you know, micro schools have been
0: around for a while, but in recent months, we've been really you know, hearing the term a lot more. And I think we've heard of micro schools, but never really labeled it as being a micro school. So for those who aren't familiar with the term, can you tell us a little bit about what microschooling is, how it works, and what the benefits
1: are to students? Yeah. So truthfully people are waiting for like some fancy definition and it just means small school. So I always feel
0: really <laughs> silly. Like I have
1: no words of wisdom. But Small means relational small means you can pivot and adjust small means we as teachers love teachable moments. So if a kid's like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I, what about Baba? And you go, yes, let's dive in. Or this resource comes up. Yeah. We can take Thursday and go to the free museum day at the Seattle art museum. It means you can flex, you can personalize. So small. Yeah, you have time
2: too. You yes, have, to have
1: more time.
2: Yes, um, and so I think that's much
1: more.
2: More nimble. Yeah
1: exactly and instead of when i taught high school english spanish i had five groups of 30 kids 55 minute increments it was an assembly line learning their names took a couple of weeks you know it was so impersonal and i had to get them ready for state testing graduation And this changes it, it's relational, it's multi-age. So you get kids for more than one year, they know their teacher, they know their peers. You really get to dive into the whole student and into their passions. you can do a lot of project-based learning where the, can I do this instead of that? And it's like, heck yes, because when their passions are engaged, they're gonna go so much deeper. It's not just gonna be, what do I have to get done? So we want kids to be engaged and to be getting to play to their passions and strengths.
2: That's fantastic you know as you're talking it's it's making me think of my mom um, education is in in our DNA my both of my parents are educators many um, of my extended family also educators my mom taught in a one-room schoolhouse you know and it's it's reminding me of that of that concept just you know she had kids from first grade through eighth grade you know in the same little schoolhouse and, and <laughs> Lived together, like during the day, and um, you know, in order to accommodate all of those those different learning styles and ages, there were absolutely different projects going on, and and that kind of agency that you were talking about, which is just such a powerful learning tool. So.
1: Yes. I just want to throw in, people are like, oh my gosh, how can you have multiple ages? But my second year of teaching, they put me in kindergarten. I was like, oh my gosh. I had kids that didn't know their letters, kids that barely knew them, didn't know their sounds, kids at kindergarten level, all the way up to third grade reading. So I had seven grade levels of five years. In that classes. class, yeah. we already have that and we, we get to acknowledge it in a one-room micro school. You get to acknowledge all those levels and not yeah. say everybody has to be at this pace because you're 12 years and six months old. Right. That's a really good point, Maureen,
2: because um, you know, one of the great challenges of teaching one grade or one Ability level at a time is that the are really it, it, it's a fallacy, right? Mm-hmm. In a room of 25, you've really got 25 different levels. You know, you've really got 25 different learning styles, um, and and so often I think there's a lot of pressure on kids to feel like they're keeping up with the kid at the top of the class, or you know, they're constantly comparing. Mm-hmm. And the way when you have the the, the multi-age um, class class or classroom, you know, that fades away and it becomes this community of learners where older kids um, are helping younger kids. I, I vividly, I have a memory of being a Mont- Montessori school kid and learning um, how to write the letter R. I was taught by a, fifth, a five-year-old you know I, I rem- it was a powerful moment. It was something I was trying so hard to do. And you know we were all working on our different things. and this five year old, a classmate of of mine, you know, taught me that. and I remember it to this day. So it's just a really it's just such a it's such a powerful concept. And I'm sure parents listening today are are thinking, huh? Maybe, maybe this could be for us. Maybe this could be for for my child. So if they were you know interested in this concept, what kind of things would you have them consider? What kind of questions um, would they would they ask? Like, what does this look like? Is it a good fit for, say, two working parents, right? Uh, you know, we've got my my high school, my rising senior this year, um, she's going to be here at home, you know, learning virtually. Um, So if microschooling is something that we were entertaining, um, I would have to be realistic, right? I'm working, my husband's working. So what does it take?
1: So it takes finding the learning platform or setting for your your student. So there are places out there like getschoolhouse.com. And they actually have the teacher, they know the legality, and they can work with a group and say, what are you looking for? Okay, you want hands-on, you want um, primary grades. They actually can help you with the structure, and it can be nature-based or arts. They're not telling you um, a curriculum, but they can help you with the structure. There's uh, homeschool co-ops and homeschool groups in in many neighborhoods. There's Facebook pages where people are coming together. So you kind of need to see what are your resources what's around you, what finances do you have, what space do you have? And I have to throw in there because I'm a part of my church's anti-racist book group. I don't think I get to study that and then put all of that discomfort aside and just deal with making sure my kids are safe. I think we have to be thinking equity with every decision we make. It shouldn't be, I'll take care of my kids and I'll go back to my book study. So if I am, part of starting a group, how am I addressing equity and how am I making it available to others that may not have the luxury of the same resources and privileges that I have? Excellent. I love that.
2: Excellent.
0: Because that's absolutely something that we should be considering as we're, you know, looking at developing like a cohort of sorts in, in a neighborhood or um, and whatnot. Mary.
2: Yeah. I could use, if you're not reaching out to to offer Um, and expand your group and and be equity-minded, it could easily be something that's just not available to others because of their resources.
0: And, exactly. you know, it,
1: I was working with a Portland group of moms, and they're like, well, we're just kind to kind of do it our own with second or third graders, and we all wear masks, we're, it's our own. And then we were like, well, you're thinking about maybe bringing in a teacher, but you don't need one. Why don't you bring in a high school graduate that's not sure what's going to happen next year with colleges and unemployment and everything, and a student of color or an LGBTQ student, and let that student in just be the one that's really getting your kids engaged and you manage the curriculum. So how, in a different way, or can your kids be at the food bank two days a week and help hand out, or can you tie into the Boys and Girls Club and have your pod offer a service? So even if you're trying to keep it hermetic, I don't know the word, sealed. Yeah. (laughs) Hermetically, thank you. Even if you're just trying to really contain it in one way, that doesn't mean we can't think of other ways to be addressing and modeling equity for our kids.
0: I love that.
1: And I think that you bring up such a good point
0: about kind of trying to fit what your availability is to the right type of micro school, because it sounds like there are so many different options and different ways that you can go. It's really up to you to determine which one is going to be the best fit. So when you think about starting a coalition and you're going to recruit people around you, and I love, love, love your idea of recruiting, you know, our young adults into this and kind of getting their viewpoints because they are so cool to our younger kids. <laughs> I love that idea. I love that idea. Yeah. And they're not as cool as parents, right? So that's kind of been a recurring problem as I have been trying to help my kids and motivate them. It's like, oh, mom's such a drag. I do not want to do what you suggest. So I love that suggestion. But if I was looking at doing that, you know, what are steps to get started? Like, how do I even reach out to people? Because I'm fairly new in my community. And so that would be intimidating to me because. I only know people who, you know, immediately have been involved in my life, like my neighbors or, you know, kids that I know my daughter plays with, like that's my world because I don't know a lot of people. So how would you, you know, suggest getting started and recruiting other people and trying to get some of that diversity in there?
1: Yeah, I... Through a quick solo episode into my podcast, I've Educationevolution.org. So a week ago, I came out with just here are three steps to get you started. This is out of my book of seven Steps, and it's kind of pulling to get things that you're doing at quick pace, where my book was like if you had six to eight months to start a school. <clears throat> so you really need to get the word out. And you need to get a tribe formed so that there are two or three of you at least. And dividing and conquering. I was working with a New Jersey school. My school, as a part of our equity lead prep, is a sister school to this nonprofit gardening um, bullet garden project in New Jersey. They're pivoting to become a school, and they're still going to address the food apartheid. Still focusing on students of color. So we're mentoring them, sharing all of our curriculum, they can hop onto our live streams, whatever they want. And she was like, we're thinking this and this, and our curriculum is like, you kind of just need to dive in and make some hard decisions and get some students in. So yeah, I, I think people really love the curriculum and the cool things they're gonna do. We have to take that hat off and put our business hat on, get some parents on board, get some kids on board, decide your space because all of these things will generate more students and the parents that are on board can then be reaching out and sharing things on their facebook groups so to kind of have all these great ideas you need to just make some of them happen and, and get it up you know get, yep we're going to use this space and you can change it the nice thing about micro is you can be nimble if different opportunities come up or you get a better resource for space but families want to know you have a space you have a model you have some kids already and then they're willing to buy in. And then with more people in, in a part of your tribe, they might say, oh, our, I have a retired teacher friend that would come and do this. So it'll morph. But you got to have some decisions so that people will get involved. You've got to get the word out to get people involved, make some decisions, and then more people get involved.
0: Well, one of the things that you, one of the steps that you mentioned in that, um, I guess it was a, I don't know if it was a podcast episode, but I saw it on YouTube. You mentioned what makes your school unique. And I loved listening to that section because you threw out a whole lot of really creative ideas of ways to, like, angles in which to approach educating our students. Could you just throw out some of those? Because they were, I thought they were so fascinating.
1: Absolutely. And just like we want kids to have a voice in their projects so that they're really passionate, and engaged, we get to do the same thing too. So the the Bullet Garden Project, they're going to have nature and sustainability a part of the micro school they're starting. Um, Nana down in Florida, I was on a coaching call with her this morning, is an art therapist, and she's got all of this crazy, cool, integrative things going on, and she'll coach kids through their online curriculum in Florida, but she's got all this enrichment going on. Uh, A guy I was working with in New York wants to do entrepreneurial education for middle school kids. It's like you're only limited by your imagination and it could be something that's using some of the public school or virtual school curriculum. It could be enrichment. It can be all day. Maybe you're an artist. Maybe you want it to be an unschool where you have different settings and different themes and you're going to study whales and be out in nature and and on the coast for this. And then you're going to shift. And so really go with your passions, go with your resources because if you're having fun and like from my micro school when my teachers are having fun then the kids get caught up in that and they see that we all get to have a voice. I love that. I love being able to kind of
0: just think through what do I bring to the table? What could I do that I feel passionate about? And if you have a coalition of parents who are all thinking about that, I think that's such a great way to just elevate it and make it fun, just like and you said.
2: You're really sharing in, sharing in the work, sharing in the the wealth of resources. So it's really not all on... On you, as it has been for many parents, you know, trying <laughs> to world like, oh my gosh, I can't even remember algebra two, you know, and I, I gotta like help my kid through this. Um, just, uh, just so much. So you, you don't have to go out alone. I like how you use the word coaching too, you know, that there are, there is this world of others out there that, you know, you can gather with and share ideas and, you know, potentially connect micro school to micro school and, and, you know, even enlarge your resources. It's fantastic. I think the question, you know, on every parent's mind as we go into this school year is um, is the safest option for their kids, for their families. Um, and of course we are safe and sound schools. So um, I, I wanna talk a little bit about, about um, the health safety aspects of a program like this. Um, there are a lot of logistics, uh, potentially you could have students rotating between different households. Um, you know, if you're lucky and you've got a space that, that I think would be ideal, one space that you can kind of uh, control the, uh, the circumstances and who's in and out and how you've arranged, uh, you know, the furniture and, and those types of things. Um, but tell us a little bit about some of those logistics as they pertain to, to health to COVID, um, you know, are kids going to be meeting face-to-face? Uh, are they, how often are they meeting? Um, is there any kind of, you know, temperature checking or social distancing or masks? How are, how are, how are your micro school colleagues thinking about these things?
1: Yeah. Well, I think in the bigger picture, the lens, I read a cool article by Attitude um, Magazine for 88 ADD kids. I love Um, that magazine because
2: we are an ADD family
1: as well. (laughs) Yeah. And they were just talking about parents really grappling with my kids' physical safety by being socially distanced and my kids' mental well-being. And a lot of times- It's an awful Exactly, part. It almost feels like an either or, and they talk about especially mental health with little kids, but I actually saw some of my high schoolers, even one of my seniors, that it just was a deep, dark hole for them. Yeah. I think we forget how connected that. our kids are. So I, I think that you have to weigh that out. Our state just yesterday said, you know, we're really kind of recommending that most schools don't go back to face-to-face. So nobody, you know, If we're in phase two or beyond in Washington state, then we can have this six feet apart mask on. So we're trying really hard to be both and and let our families choose. So we are going to be six feet apart. We have two hula hoops per, so they have a visual. We have a folding chair, a folding table, and we're looking at um, parking lot space. Middle school in one group, high school in another, where usually we're a little more fluid, but to keep them separate, it's not truly separate because our teachers will be back and forth. So, and they share, they go back and forth between our Seattle and Kirkland campus, so. But you're minimizing, you're certainly minimizing. Exactly. and
2: you're temperature smaller.
1: check, the yeah. checklist, have you traveled in the last two weeks? The, you know, the whole checklist, the temperature check, then you get a dot on you and then you can go to your group. Middle school goes one way, high school goes another, so you're using separate entrances. Um, it's not perfect, a ton of hand washing, a ton of cleaning, So and, and the masks on. And if you don't, then we're gonna go ahead and let you go home for that day and try again the next day, but masks are kindness. And at the same time, we have families that can't do that. We have kids living with grandparents or having a health situation, so we did, face-to-face perfectly, we switched to remote seamlessly, but now our new challenge is, how can we do our group projects face-to-face and have that kid remote as fully engaged in the group as the kids that are physically present, the nice thing about micro is, like you said earlier, Michelle, we're family. So I know my high school kids are going to be, hey, Ella, from home, can you see and can what would you have us move next to nah. create this? I know our kids are going to find ways to, to be inclusive and they're going to call us adults out on that if, if we're not as inclusive as they think we could be. But how do we make sure everybody is getting that social connection, whether they're face-to-face or remote? So there's and a when it's
2: thing. smaller, I think it's it's it is more achievable. Yesterday, I led a a town hall panel, and we had we had like four panelists present, all like you are describing. We were all six feet apart. We were in our little contained area. We all wore our masks to our spot. We hand sanitized before we got to our spot. Then took our masks off and then started having our thing. But we did have someone piped in remotely via Zoom. And be, and I was a little worried. I was the moderator. I was a little worried that I was gonna forget, you know. But um, it, it was it, with with just just that one person, you know, coming in remote. I was I was able to to maintain that connection as well as the other panelists. Kind of like you're describing, you know, they were pulling him into the conversation as well, very naturally. Um, so it was not nearly as challenging as I as I did think it was gonna be.
0: We're, it's probably because we've all become accustomed to Zoom, right? It's like second nature now. <laughs> Our kids are even, you know, Zoom experts. Oh, my kids get online and change my background all the time. It drives me crazy. I get in on a meeting and I didn't realize that I was at the beach. And so surprised when I hopped in there. <laughs> it's too funny. So if parents are interested in learning a little bit more about micro-schooling, where do they start? Where where do they go for resources? What things would you recommend to kind of, you know, read up on this
1: and learn a little bit more? So I think the first place to get a finger on the pulse is to hop on social media and see what parent groups, what education groups, what's going on, because there's just crazy Stuff emerging all the time, lots going on everywhere. Um, I have a book, my Um Creating Microschools for Colorful Mismatched Kids. Um, I love, 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 yeah. love that title. Yeah, all mismatched kids. Because every child is
2: colorful and mismatched. I love that.
1: <laughs> they, they all think they're the same and if they're different, that they're the one kid that's different than everybody else. But they're such a rainbow because there is
2: no design. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, Um, I have a a website, microschoolcoalition.com, and you could reach me through there and I can answer questions. I can tell you, oh, yeah, here's somebody else in New Jersey or here. If I have a resource, I love connecting people or hey, here is what, you know, getschoolhouse.com is offering and you might want to talk to them. And so I like connecting people, um, ask questions and really the homeschool co-ops in your area they understand legalities if you're hiring a teacher they might be hey you have to do this for a background check you have to have this private schools near you they will tell you yeah you need insurance and here's where i get nonprofit insurance so expect everybody to give you help but my hope is that we're all in this together serving kids and it's not competition it's like course, I'll share my resources. And I know you'll pay it forward and share with somebody else so that our kids are served.
2: Well said. Before we go, um, is there anything that we haven't covered? I mean, I feel like there's everything that we haven't covered. We could talk about this for a long time. (laughs) It's very exciting. But is there anything that kind of stands out that you want to make sure listeners uh, have their hands on?
1: You know, I know we're all scrambling to what are we going to do in September? How are we going to start this? But I am really on fire that our education system, the assembly line industrial system, is not what's best for most of our kids. They don't get to create. They don't get to have a voice. Mental health issues are huge. Dropout rates in Washington state, 20%. And we are an affluent state. 30% if you're a student of color and even higher if you're a student with learning needs. Um, The self-assessment.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. The self-assessment that high school kids do in Washington, one in 10 have attempted suicide. Hate crimes are at an all time high. If we have such an inhumane widget system, take this class, take this class, move. We aren't modeling love not modeling, we're not letting kids be seen, heard, valued, and then we expect them to build a better world for us. So I really don't want people just to say, okay, this was a duct tape solution and now we're back to status quo because status quo hasn't served us, but because Teachers are so overwhelmed, and because we're a public and nonprofit, we're one of the institutions that does not address equity, does not address human needs, and our institution needs revamping. So I get it. Let's get fall going, let's get our kids served, but please, let's not go back to something that was already broken. Let's think humane. Our kids will be safer when they're valued, when they feel like they're contributing, when they care about each other because they're being cared about. And right now our middle and high schools, a lot of them just don't have the bandwidth. We can do better. Well said. I just Very think well said. actually a bit of a silver
2: lining, right? I think um, we've learned a lot, painfully albeit, but we've learned a lot. Um, as a as a public L- educator, um, I think there are a lot of things that that I take away from from this time, and I'm excited. Uh, intimidated sure, but a little excited about what this year brings and what we'll all learn and, and how we can you know grow our, our school systems into what they need to be for truly safe and sound kids.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much Maureen for being on our show today. And for those who are interested in Maureen's work, be sure to visit her website. Once again, that is microschoolcoalition.com and her book, Creating Microschools for Colorful Mismatched Kids is available on Amazon. This conversation is obviously a really important one and one that we're gonna be probably discussing for quite some time um, as the months to follow are going to be a new challenge for us. And so I I would love to continue the conversation with you and check in with you and we'll see how it's all going as we (laughs) progress together. Um, If you would like to share today's episode or catch up on episodes you might have missed from the sound off, visit our website at safeandsoundschools.org podcast to see a full list of all of our episodes. We thank you again for listening and joining us in our mission to protect every school and every student every day. Thank you.